If you'd like to turn with me in your Bibles, the title of my message this morning is simply, He Said Peace. And I want us just for a few moments to contemplate this story in Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. I'm sure it's a familiar story to all of us here. On the same day when evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was, and other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat on the boat, so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. And they awoke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Then he arose and rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. But they said to but he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? And they feared exceedingly and said one to another, How can this be? Who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? I want you to picture yourself for just a few moments in this story. Picture yourself among those disciples, tired, weary from a long day of work, getting into the boat, getting ready to cross over the lake. And Jesus, just as weary as all the disciples, perhaps more so, goes to the back of the boat and falls asleep on a pillow. As these men row across the, the lake, imagine these are, these are strong men. Most of them are experienced fishermen. They know this lake. They know this boat. But the winds begin to pick up. The waves begin to roll. And these strong, experienced fishermen become fearful. That's an understatement. They are scared to death. They're afraid for their lives. And they start looking around. Where is Jesus? Where is our leader? Where is our master? Why is he not over here? Which oar is he rowing with? And they look, and here he is, on a cushion, asleep. Well. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Do you not care? How many of you have ever been in a boat on a stormy lake? I see a couple hands going up. I remember when uh, Christina and I, one time, we went out to Laurel Lake. We loved going camping out at Laurel Lake. and we, I had arranged my work so I could get off work a little bit early, and I got off work, and I met her down at the lake, and uh, we had the canoes, and we put the canoes in. As we looked out on the, over the lake, as we were putting the canoes into the water, I remember seeing the storm clouds coming in. And you know how it looks on a summer day when it's just kind of a little bit sultry and still, almost like a deathly still. And it was getting dark, but it was getting dark too early in the day to be getting dark. And you could look up and you could see this wall of storm clouds coming in. And we said, we've got two miles to paddle around this lake to get to where we wanted to camp. And our canoes, are, our canoe, we only had one, our canoe was loaded down with the camping gear. So we, we weren't going, I mean, we were already riding low in the water. And as we pushed off into the, into the lake, 
As we paddled toward these storm clouds, we could feel the wind picking up and hitting our faces. And pretty soon we could feel the little drops of rain. And it, it was blowing the, the little waves into white caps on the, on the water. And then we, heard the, the, we saw the lightning flash and we heard the thunder crash. And we said, I don't know if we should be on a lake in a thunderstorm. <laughs> but we were on the lake and it was a thunderstorm and as we, as we paddled for all we were worth to get over to the side of the lake then we realized that on this rocky shore with the waves like they were that was not going to be easy to land this canoe fully loaded without grinding it to pieces and we, we did manage to get pulled over into an eddy and, and, uh, but as, I, as we were paddling, I could just imagine the feeling of the disciples in this boat. Paddling, rowing for all they were worth to get somewhere, to save their very lives, all in vain. And then looking back, Jesus, didn't you care that we're about to drown? I suppose Micah and Megan remember, uh, I, see, I see Megan smiling, remember a time when they also came out to Laurel Lake and, and uh, uh, between the contrary winds and the waves, I don't recall now that from you telling the story how long you had spent uh, getting as far as you did, but uh, um, let's suffice it to say it's an experience you won't soon forget. Nor will uh, Susan or Pam forget the kayak trip that we went on Christina Lake a few years back, and uh, the winds came up to the point that one of the kayaks was swamped and neither one of us could get to where we were we were going, and it was only a miracle that we actually got out of there uh, alive and without any further, further mishap. You know, I'm sure that all of us have faced storms in our lives. If we think about it, we could probably think of one. Perhaps, though, we don't have to think that hard. Perhaps we know, and the storm is not past, but the storm is now. Perhaps it's not a storm of winds and waves on a lake. Perhaps it's a storm of persecution. Perhaps it's the fiery trials of affliction or the winds of temptation. Perhaps it's the suffering of sickness. Or like for so many of us today, the sharp pangs of loss. No, we don't need to remember the storms. We don't need a reminder of them because they are all around us. And when we look around, it's so easy to feel like we're all alone, battling against the winds and the waves. And where is Jesus? Master, do you care that we are perishing? Verse 38, but he was asleep. But he was in the stern, asleep on a pillow. How many of you have looked for Jesus in the midst of your trials, and you've looked all around and you've cried out to God, Lord, where are you? Jesus, why don't you care that I'm going through this trial? Master, carest thou not that we perish, as it says in the King James? Did Jesus care for his disciples? Does he not care for every one of his children? Why then, I ask you, why then was he asleep? Not because he didn't care, but because he knew. He knew his relationship with his father. He knew the love that the father had for him and for each one of his disciples. 
And he was so confident in that love and in that care that he could fall fast asleep in the midst of the storm, knowing full well that nothing on earth could harm him. Then he arose, verse 39, and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. You know, growing up, I often misunderstood this verse. I often understood this story something like this. You see, the disciples were in a boat with Jesus, and they were going across the lake, and the storm came up, and the disciples would have drowned if it hadn't been for the fact that they woke up Jesus to save him from the storm. It would be easy to understand the story that way, I suppose. But you know, as I really read it, as I really get into this, I have to think, could that storm have drowned them while Jesus was in that boat? I don't believe so. Did Jesus have to calm the storm to save his disciples? Had Jesus perhaps already saved and was saving his disciples by his very presence? But when his disciples were fearful, in order to demonstrate to them in a way they would never forget, he simply stood up and said to the wind and to the waves, Peace, be still. And in answer to that simple command, the elements of nature obeyed his word. And in an instant, all was calm. You know, I believe, friends, that if Jesus and the disciples had been in true danger, Jesus would not have been asleep. But because of Jesus' confidence in his Father's protection, he could sleep through the storm. Jesus was as close to them then as he ever had been before or since. While he rides the ship, his hand guides the storm. And though he is there asleep on the pillow, it is his very hand, his same hand, that is protecting his disciples. Isaiah chapter 6 and verse 9 talks about the coming Messiah, the mighty God, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. What is peace? And what does it mean? One definition of peace, if I look it up in the dictionaries, means simply the absence of war or the absence of conflict. Many, many in this world today are hoping and longing for world peace. For a time that will come someday when there will be an end to war and all will be at peace. You know, we just passed the 100th anniversary of the end of what was known at the time as the Great War. The war to end all wars. The war that would usher in a new era of world peace. We now look back at it today and call it World War I. Because sadly, there was, sh shortly after it, World War II. And you know, I, I looked it up, and there have been at least 200 wars since the war to end all wars. Not millions, not tens of millions, but over a hundred million people have died in these wars in the last century. 
My friends, if peace is the absence of war, then we have a long time to wait. It would seem that peace is nothing more than an elusive dream. If peace is simply the absence of conflict, the absence of a storm, then peace is nothing more than a figment of an insane man's imagination. But is it possible that peace could be more, that peace could be real, and that we could have peace, not without the storm, but in spite of the storm? You see, my friends, I believe that peace is not the absence of turmoil. Peace is not just the end of the storm, but I believe that what Jesus tells us here is that he, by sleeping on the pillow, could have peace in the midst of the storm. In Psalm chapter 4 and verse 8, one of my favorite passages in all the scripture, it says, I will both lie down in peace and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. You know, I see in this story, in this passage in Mark, a series of contrasts. We see a storm and calm, fear and peace, danger and safety. How can we achieve this kind of peace? The kind of peace that Jesus had that can weather any storm. Can we achieve peace simply by trying to rid our hearts of fear? If so, then perhaps I just need to learn to face my fears, to act tough and brave, and maybe my fear eventually will go away. But I've tried and tried and failed so many times to act brave when I'm truly afraid. And sometimes all of that bravery does is to kill or bury a part of my heart that needs to have real peace. You see, to understand this peace, I think we need to understand the nature of the things that can take away our peace. Take storms, for instance. Where do storms happen? Storms happen outside of our lives. They affect us not because they happen inside of us, but because they threaten our lives. They, they can take away our peace. Storms are extrinsic to ourselves. That is, they're outside of us. And they are external in that they affect us from the outside in. Jesus used the term tribulation to describe different kinds of storms that can affect our lives. He says in John chapter 6 and verse 33, These things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You see, in spite of the tribulation, in spite of the things that can happen outside of us, Jesus says to us that a peace can come that can affect us on the inside, that in spite of anything that goes on on the outside, we can have peace. Yes, there's tribulations, but then, as I mentioned a moment ago, there are these things called fears. Fears are different than tribulations, not in so much what they are, but in how they affect us and in where they come from. Fears, of course, are triggered by these storms, by these tribulations, but fears naturally spring up within our hearts. They are inside of us. They are intrinsic to us, and they affect us internally. Sometimes we can have fear, and no one else may ever know the fears that we have. 
But just because they're intrinsic and just because they're internal doesn't make them any less real in our lives. And yes, fears can take away our peace just as much as storms and tribulations. What are some things that you may be afraid of today? What are some fears that people have? I know many people who are fearful of tight spaces. We call that claustrophobia. Some people are afraid of heights, afraid of falling. Some people are afraid of death. A fear of loneliness, a fear of public speaking, which, by the way, is the number one fear in America. A fear of rejection, a fear of abandonment, or a fear of failure. These are things people are afraid of. Yes, perhaps some of you are afraid of these things. But you know how I got this list? It's because it's the things I'm afraid of. And the last one is the, the biggest one, a fear of failure, followed very closely by a fear of public speaking. <laughs> and I still wonder why I get up here. But, you know, we f have to face it. We all have fears. You know, sometimes fear is a healthy thing. It's good to have a, good, uh, a healthy respect of a thousand-foot cliff. If this was a thousand feet, I don't think I'd be standing quite this, this close. But, you know, fear, a chronic fear, is antithetical to peace. And fear is antithetical to love. 1 John 4 and verse 18, Jesus says, John says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. You see, the love of Christ poured into our hearts can tranquilize our fear and can give us true peace. So we have storms which are external and extrinsic to us. And we have fears which are internal and intrinsic to our hearts. But Jesus speaks of peace in John chapter 14 and verse 27. He says, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. My friends, true peace is not something that comes from within our hearts. It's not something that we can manufacture on ourselves on our own. It is external to us because it comes from the divine. And yet when it comes to us, it affects us not on the outside, but it affects us on the inside. It is extrinsic, but it is internal. True peace comes from Christ because only Christ understands fully the love of God. Unlike this time at the Sea of Galilee, rarely does Jesus speak peace to the elements that surround us? Sometimes he does. And when he does, we can take courage and faith in knowing that he is in control. But more often than that, he speaks peace to our hearts in spite of the storm. And though the storm rages without us, yet within us, we can have peace. You know, I passed out a, a magazine between uh, Sabbath school and church. It's actually an old magazine. I remember uh, helping to has, pass out these magazines when I was much younger. And I hadn't seen them for quite a long time. And we were cleaning the church not too long ago and found some old literature back in a cabinet. If you turn to the back of the magazine, you actually see how old it is. But, <laughs> but we found it in a back cabinet. And I, thought, I thought, hmm, I wonder, 
what this, this would be good for. And I didn't think much of it until I was writing this message, and then I remembered. But if you look at the front cover, don't get too distracted by the back cover. Mark Finley looks much younger then. Um, but if you look at the front cover, I want you to look at the picture. And there you see at the very bottom, you see the storm clouds billowing up to the sunset. But then at the very top, you see an eagle. Did you know that when a storm comes, an eagle will often take off and begin soaring? And as the, as the billows rise, as the storm clouds gather, instead of hunkering down on its nest, that eagle will, eagle will soar and circle higher and higher and higher until it breaks through the clouds and into the clear sky above. And you know, I often wonder, why would an eagle fly in a storm? Why wouldn't it stay on its nest? But you know, eagles are very intelligent creatures. Humans, we could learn a few things from them, perhaps. But it takes energy to fly. And when an eagle takes off in still air, it has to flap its wings. And every time it wants to climb an inch, it has to flap its wings. And that takes energy to flap its wings. And it can only go so long on its own energy and strength. But when the storms begin to gather and the winds begin to blow, the winds are blowing this way and the winds are blowing this way and the clouds are coming up, but the winds begin to blow upwards. And as that eagle senses the storm coming on, it's not interested in the storm. It can fly in spite of the storm, but that storm is an opportunity. And it takes off, and it begins to soar in those winds. And as it soars, the winds carry it higher and higher and higher until it reaches the calm far above the storm, not by flying and flapping its wings, but by soaring on those winds that have brought the storm. My friends, I believe that this is what Jesus meant when he says, my peace I give to you. Not that he takes us out of the storm, you know, that, that storm on the Sea of Galilee, I don't believe that Jesus caused the storm to come down on the lake. He didn't cause it, but he permitted it because he can control everything. And while he rides the ship, his hand guides the storm. And I believe that Jesus is able to guide the winds in your life to enable you to rise and to soar above the storm. Do you know why that we have the peace that we have in this nation? I'm talking about a little bit of a different kind of peace. If you look at the nations around, if you look at the world around, like I said, there's been over 200 wars in the last 100 years. All around today, there are wars in other nations. But in this nation, comparatively speaking, we have peace. 
Why do we have peace? Is it not because young men and women have signed up and fought bravely for the freedoms that we hold dear? The only way that we have this peace is because someone else has taken up the sword. Someone else has braved the battle. Someone else has fought and died for the freedoms we hold dear. You know, it's true that the only way a storm is calmed is for its fury to be spent. Let me use another illustration. The story is told of a wagon train traveling west across the prairies on the Oregon Trail. And as they travel along, traveling through the prairies and the dry grass, the dry grass stretched from horizon to horizon. And as they plodded along, the settlers caught a whiff of smoke. Soon they could see not only smoke on the horizon, but flames coming straight toward them. A wall of flame from horizon to horizon, upwind and coming their direction. It would only be a matter of time before the oxen, the cattle, the wagons, the children, the parents, everyone would be consumed in an inferno. No buckets of water could quench the flames. The fastest runner could not outpace them. But silently, the wise leader of the caravan stepped a few paces downwind, reached down, and started the grass at his feet on fire. And as the, as the flames leaped up, and as the fire spread, now they could see the flames coming at them from one side, and they could see the fire burning on the other side. They were surrounded in smoke and flames, and it seemed as though all hope was gone. But as that fire began to burn, it burned the grass at their feet and then started to burn away from them. And they were able eventually to put out the, the flames that were coming up towards the wagons from that second fire. And then slowly they moved their wagons and their cattle and their families and their children onto this black, burned ground. And just as the prairie fire came towards them, as they had moved onto this blackened and parched earth, the flames came up to the edge of that blackened earth and split and went around them. And the wagon train was saved. The fire could not burn twice over the same land. My friends, today, are the storms raging in your life? Are the flames of trial and affliction threatening to destroy your very soul. My friends, look to Jesus. Look to him kneeling in the Garden of Gethsemane. Look to him hanging on the cross. My friends, he does not just calm the storm. He stands in front of you, taking its fury for you. He is the ground burned over on which the flames cannot burn a second time. My friends, the only way to have true peace is to let Christ take the storm. He said peace to the sea above the noise and the fierce wind. Be still, hush the waves, and sweet calm came again. He said peace above clamor and the battle's fierce strife. 
Be still. Do not shed one more innocent life. He said peace in a world filled with chaos and woe. Be still, and the true peace of God you may know. He said peace to my heart that was broken in sorrow. I'm with you forever, and there's hope for tomorrow. He said peace when our fears were pressed down upon us. Look up and behold the blessed rainbow of promise. He said, peace, though the trials, like a fiery furnace, behold, tis God's Son who is walking among us. He said, peace, when I cried out, I don't understand. Do you still hold me in the palm of your hand? He said, peace, at a time when all hope was far gone. Be still. Look to me and the gift of my Son. He said, peace, and I saw him there, hung on that cross. I knew that for me, his own life was the cost. He said, peace, and I knew that my life was now changed. In him, I'm redeemed. I have life once again. He said, peace to my life, filled with sorrow and sin. Be still, be forgiven. I'll make you whole again. He said, peace, and now... My new heart can rejoice forever. I'll praise him with my song and my voice. In Isaiah chapter 32 and verse 18, we read, My people will dwell in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. My friends, do you want the peace of Jesus in your life? Then let's look to him. And let him give us his true peace. Loving Father in heaven, Lord, thank you for peace. That though the storms rage around us, though the flames may be burning high, we know that you are right here with us. And that you will never allow us to suffer more than you will enable us to bear. Help us, dear Lord to have that peace. And may you come soon to take us home as our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Shelter in the time of storm.
May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guide your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.